So uh, your question is, what musical style would you like to record outside of what you're known for? Ooh, uh, that is a good question. So I guess uh, as far as like the videos I put out are, are concerned, I'm more known for the country stuff. But, um, you know, I came up through through metal. <clears throat> um, I don't know how known I am for metal. I know people know that I kind of mash them up at times, but uh, it would my, my first answer would be metal. But if if that's, you know, not the best answer, because I have done a lot of videos with that, then. Um, hmm. Maybe funk, to be honest with you, like um, uh, guys like Corey Wong, like I can never play that stuff. It's something I have very little experience with. And um, I listen to that kind of stuff and it's just puts you in a feel good mood. You know, it just sounds it's really interesting to me, but it's not something I can do very well. So I would say maybe funk, if not metal. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, because it's funny because I that question, I was going to ask it to someone else because I did have someone booked before your one. Um, but then it's obviously been, the couple of questions kind of now been passed on to you. And actually, I think that's a good question for you, because... Uh, yeah, like, oh, yeah, that's a great question. Because Yeah, because I've seen both the metal and the kind of country side of things in terms of your videos anyway. Um, yeah. So I thought that was quite a good one. That was... Um, yeah. So yeah, funk, I think for me, I'd rather do funk bass than funk guitar. Man, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, either one for me, but yeah, that's... that. Uh I love both of them, but the funk bass as well, for sure. Yeah, it just has like a, I feel like the groove, for me, funk is about like the groove. And I I feel like oh, yeah. the guitar, I'm a guitarist myself, but I just feel like it, it doesn't do, for me, I wouldn't feel that same involvement in the way yeah. that I would as like a metal guitarist, you know. Um, mm, you feel like you're really course. driving it home as a metal guitarist, whereas I feel like maybe as a funk guitarist, maybe I'm mischaracterizing them, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm, I think I can go both ways. I, I, I guess uh, I guess it just depends on um, on the band, the act. But but I definitely think you're right. Yeah, the the bass shines a lot more in funk than um, than a lot of other things. So yeah, what about drums? If you had to play drums in any, have in I ever any, played drums? Or if you had to be a drummer for any style of music? Uh, um, hmm, maybe uh. Does it have to be a style that I don't already do? It can be anything. Yeah. Oh, the, probably country. Um, okay, that's I, interesting. I think maybe maybe you know, in my teen years or or so, I would have said metal. But there's something really impressive to me these days about um, really really solid country drummers that don't overplay and and aren't flashy, but can be any any time they want to. Like who could could blow your doors off anytime they wanted to, but who uh, kind of know their role and they don't overplay. And, and what ends up being their like flashy point is just how tight and dynamic and uh, supportive of a role, I guess they play at the band as a whole. Like when people do that really well, they're not really going to impress anyone that isn't a musician necessarily, but, but you know, when you know, when you're listening for that in particular, it's to, to me, it's just, a lot more impressive um, when you're just perfect at that rather than trying to show off, you know, how fast you can play or how many different shells you can hit within a three second time span or something, you know, just for the sake of doing it. Right. Just so, mm. so play into the song and, and being super tight. Those are huge for me. Mm. The, the, uh, and I, go on. I was just going to say, I, I, it gets done, uh, I think more often in country because country drumming uh, is so, um, I guess simple in a way compared to you know like metal where it's supposed to be really fast and and 
uh, energetic, whereas country is more stripped back. So um, for that being the case with country, yeah, that's what's really impressive to me is when people are really tight and don't overplay. Hmm. Yeah, I am. Um, the thing I find with, with uh, I suppose the thing I'm yet to find with with country when I have gone and sort of had the odd listen because it's not it's not a genre I often delve into, um, and I don't think it's very particularly here in the UK. I don't think there's ma- a massive scene for country no. music. You know, it's just it's it doesn't maybe um, maybe it just I, I, obviously a lot of people like it, and a lot of people like the classic kind of bangers, the more like pop country stuff. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I think. Um, Something I'd be intrigued to hear is how, or sort of what, um, when I think of country beyond just like the super, super poppy stuff, um, the only kind of person I think I know as like a guitarist and like a sort of popular country person is someone like Brad Paisley, you know. Um, yeah. And again, that's coming from an outside. I'm not saying I'm not acting like he's the only one. It's just my knowledge is so limited. Um, he's, he's one of the, he's one of the big dogs for sure. Yeah, um, and funnily enough, some faces come to mind where I can't, um, I can't think of any names. But um, who, you know, if you're a guitarist and you are interested in having a listen to some more country music that has an involved guitar element in it, who do you think people should maybe be checking out? Well, the first name that's always going to come to mind. I think I speak for most country guitar players <clears throat> when given that question is um, Brent Mason. He is uh, the most recorded uh, country guitar player of all time. Um, so, you know, from the eighties to through now, everything from Alan Jackson and you know, like all of the, all of the hit Alan Jackson songs with uh, cool guitar parts and stuff for nine times out of 10, it was Brent Mason and really anything from the eighties through now with um, less. So these days there's more session guys on the modern, uh, more poppy stuff, but even the early 2000s, anything with like hot guitar licks in, in the country world more than likely was Brent Mason. And uh, I mean, the guy is the absolute king of, of country guitar. Um, you know, like I said, everybody was using him on everything throughout the 80s and 90s, especially. Um, and he's got his own solo stuff. But really, man, I would I would really tell someone to just dig through all of Brent's catalog, uh, all the things he played on. His solo stuff, you know, which is on Spotify. Um, one song comes to mind, Hot Wired. If somebody wants to really just listen to uh, world-class musicians just losing their minds on a song. Um, but yeah, so Brent Mason, um, other guys uh, like Johnny Highland, um, Vince Gill, you know, obviously Brad Paisley. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of names. I mean, but I think that would be a good start. Kind of has different styles in there. Brad Paisley is a... He's got his own really unique style. Brad's a, a, a monster guitar player, obviously, but uh, the more you listen to him, the more you'll start noticing that he's he's got this very different style to him that's really cool. A lot of pull-offs and stuff that he does. Um, but I think that'd be a good start, yeah. So Brent Mason, Johnny Hyland, uh, Vince Gill, Brad Paisley, any of those guys would be would get you right for sure. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's sort of almost coming. It's almost a question for me more than anyone else because I, I, yeah. I, like, I know, I know the sound. I'm so familiar with what the sort of country guitar is in, especially more the lead stuff. I know what mm-hmm. the sound kind of is in the same way I know what a metal sound is or a funk sound is in terms of like the, the techniques and the styles and the sort of little inflections and things. But if you ask me to name any names, like Johnny Highland's another one I could name. Um, really, but yeah, but beyond that, like. I'm a bit, I'm a bit clueless on that. So it's it's interesting to hear some names. I'll definitely go and check them out. Um, but I noticed, so like your, 
obviously I first saw your kind of stuff from sort of country shredding and all of that. That's when I first kind of saw your um, sort of videos and things come up. Um, yeah. I noticed there's a lot less, or you've been putting out a lot less on like Instagram and stuff in recent times. Yeah. What's kind of the shift there for you? Well, um, <clears throat> it started because I, you know, like, I had been uh, pretty dormant in a way uh, over the last year. And it's, I guess it just started, uh, I got busy, right? Um, just a normal, for a normal month or so period of time. Uh, and prior to that, I think I was trying to do two videos a month or one or at least one a month, maybe two a month. Um, I never really tried doing something like weekly. It was always like one or two a month. Uh, and then I had a, you know, like a month or so there where I was just too busy to do it. And I think it just got me out of the groove of things, you know? And then, um, yeah, I just kind of got out of that routine. Um, went through maybe a little bit of burnout. Uh, I was still playing guitar, but, um, stayed busy and, and just making time for it. It wasn't as easy as it used to be, uh, even though I could have done it, you know? So I guess a little bit of burnout and just being busy and kind of got me out of the routine. And then, um, currently trying to get myself back into it. I just released that, um, <clears throat> Fortin hex drive pedal demo and, uh, that went pretty well. So, uh, that kind of lit a fire back again. So hopefully we can, uh, get back in the swing of things and keep them going. But I guess it was a good little break for a little bit. Mm. So you see that break is kind of like a positive kind of time for you to just crack on with what you, what you want to be spending time on. Uh, yeah, in some ways for sure. Um, you know, in the, in that time I, I, did a lot of gigs, um, a lot of studio work, uh, everything kept, you know, everything kept going as, as usual, um, just fewer videos, you know, and, uh, the way I do my videos, it does take quite a bit of time to do, um, you know, cause it, it's a full mix and everything. I have drums and everything in there and, and, and mixing it and all that, but, um, so it can be, it can become tedious, but, um, yeah, I guess it was, it was good in, in some ways, but in other ways, you know, uh, I, I like to keep things rolling so that, uh, I don't you know, lose relevancy in some way, you know, um, that definitely hurts the Instagram algorithms as well a little bit. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's more about, um, your being, I guess, in some ways and making sure, uh, you're enjoying it and it doesn't become a chore. So if a break is, is useful and keeping that going, then, uh, I'd say it's a good thing for sure. Hmm. Have you found um, something I've been, I've noticed among people that put content out, like yeah, musical kind of content? Have you noticed that has translated, you know, gaining a following online? Has that translated much over to like um, concrete work coming your way in the way of like production, guitar stuff? Or because I noticed, I, I've heard a couple yeah. of people saying how they found it frustrating that the the follow account doesn't always translate to like practical. Um, you know, if you think about say, you know, like 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people following you, you think, oh, well that's 20,000 people that will want to pay for guitar lessons. When it was, obviously it's not, it's, it doesn't translate in that way. Have you found that it gaining a following has sort of launched your other pursuits as well? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and that's, you know, that's, I never started, um, the videos for that reason. You know, I, I started making videos when I was probably 13. I, I did a bunch of metal videos on YouTube throughout my teens, a lot of which I've taken down by now. But, um, and then you know, around 18 or so I took, I took, I stopped making videos for several years. Um, still playing guitar of course, but I just kind of got out of the, 
habit of making videos, uh, YouTube changed a lot of the time or whatever. So, but, but yeah, no, at, at that point, you know, throughout my teens, I never, never did it for any other reason than I enjoyed doing it. And when I started back, it was the same thing. Uh, and then I did start kind of getting a small following together and then, uh, uh, endorsement deals came through and that, that was a huge thing for me. Uh, I've gotten a lot of gigs through the videos that I've done. Um, you know, so, I mean, those are the main two things though, right? Just, uh, endorsements and, and, and things like gigs, session, uh, guitar work, stuff like that, studio work. Uh, so it definitely helps, um, as far as that goes, no doubt. Sounds like you're kind of quite, um, well, certainly working on being quite like a multifaceted kind of musician. <laughs> a lot of people are quite sort of, uh, um, one dimensional. I don't, it's not a bad thing. You know, if you're really good at one thing, that's really great. But, um, are you is that kind of do you ever find yourself like sort of juggling a lot of things like musical sort of endeavors and struggling to keep them up yeah uh being being someone who's uh very involved in both metal and country that it does become a problem you know everybody kind of at least when you provide a service you know there's like a, a rule of thumb that most entrepreneurs will tell you or, or through your reading you know you'll come across and that's to niche down and become really good at one thing. A lot of people preach that over and over. And while it's very true, I've always kind of wanted to be someone or wanted to work towards being someone who um, could be that, that person for two things instead of just one thing. Um, and that's, it's hard to do. I don't, you know, I, I don't know many people that, that have done it. So part of me some days is like, maybe I should just start picking one and, and just stick to that so that people um, looking up my work or whatever, we'll see that that's what I do. That's what I specialize in and, and be more confident rather than someone who's wanting to work with me for a country, uh, looking at my metal stuff and wondering if I really do country enough or whatever. So that is, that does, uh, kind of create an issue sometimes, but I would love in a perfect world to, to definitely specialize in those two things rather than, than having to niche down and um, pick one thing out of the bunch, you know, country and metal for sure. Yeah. Cause I was kind of um, one of the questions that I sort of wrote down for you was like for musicians that are sort of maybe umming and ahhing about where they want to take their pursuits, whatever that might be, whether it's like production, session work, creating, you know, education, whatever, there's loads of things. And I, I find I'm kind of, teetering on the edge of loads of these different things um what would your advice be to anyone that's kind of uh maybe not sure what musical career path they want to kind of follow um i guess in some ways i'm going to be talking to myself on this one because the, there's days where i definitely don't know what exactly i want to do some days i i want to keep doing the studio stuff some days i want to uh, uh you know, just, just do the touring, uh, musician thing for a while. So I would say, at least in my experience, the thing that's been best for me is to try them, try as many of those things out as you can. Um, some of which are harder to do, like finding a touring gig, uh, as a musician or doing session guitar stuff, but, uh, do what you can to, to, to kind of get a feel for what that's like, even if it's, instead of a real tour, it's just a three or four day run or something somewhere. Or, um, even if it's not a real like session guitar gig or something, um, 
find a group of friends that's writing some songs as a hobby for fun and ask them, Hey, can I come play guitar on it or something? Just find a way to kind of get that experience and see what you enjoy the most. Um, that's kind of what I've done. And, and I, I actually keep thinking of it that way. The more and more I do each of those things and it kind of readjusts my, uh, opinion on what I want to do at some points entirely. Some weeks, like I said, I want to do this more than the others. So, uh, it's good to kind of do different things, I guess, just try them out and you're, you know, you might enjoy one thing more than the other at some point, but, um, kind of keep all your eggs in the basket, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. I, 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 um, I kind of find myself like I'm primarily a guitarist. I can kind of half sing and half know a bit about production. I teach full time. So that's kind of, I'm not looking to, I don't want to teach for my whole life. That's not what, you know, no, I don't want that to be my primary thing forever, you know? Um, Mm. and I'm always like, would I make a good producer? Like, cause I've got the background as a, a lot of people I think step into production in a bit of a, uh, uh, without having that background as like songwriters and musicians maybe and then sort of step into this sort of vacuum where like, I think a good producer really understands songs not just you right. know, good sounds I think I've seen a lot of kind of producers on um, on Instagram and stuff where I, I I feel like from what I've seen them put together there's an understanding of sonics and, and like but then when when I listen to fundamentally what what they've produced I'm not massive on the the actual content behind it and it's like um yeah i don't know where i was really going with that <laughs> but i think my point my point being i guess that i'm always like there's there's so many avenues i think it's easy to look at all these options and just have this kind of option paralysis you know um oh yeah like uh, that's that's always something i'm kind of uh i think i know kind of what i want to do i think i want to just pursue the songwriter side of things but um yeah no, that'd be a, that's awesome. Yeah, that's an awesome role. And, you know, it, it's a it's a much better role these days than than um, like being a session musician or back in the you know several decades ago where you'd still get points on uh, the songs that you played on. And, and these days, um, or at least for for like session guitar players in, in country, for example, you know, back in the eighties, nineties, early two thousands, whatever, um, the guitar played a much bigger role in the song. You had um, just more guitar stuff going on now it's it's more of a um it's more pulled back it's more you know basic stuff and so i kind of in a way it makes sense but you don't really get points on records anymore for for session guitar stuff obviously you do for songwriting right um you got royalties all over the place on that most of the time um so that's a good thing and, and but as far as, you know, mentioning you, you thought about being a producer or you've wondered about it. Um, that's another great thing to get into. It's just, it's, it's a hard one to get into in a lot of ways because, um, when you start out, you know, for, for most people, you're going to start with smaller artists. Um, uh, unless somebody just hands something big to you, your friends with somebody that's already made the climb to the top and they, they give you a, uh, an easy way in or something, but otherwise you're going to start with these smaller artists and man, being a producer with working with smaller artists can be just pulling teeth, man. It's because they're, they get so attached and, and they're not yet um, at a point where they um, I guess will let a producer be the extra member of the band for that session. Right. Or, or you know, they're, they're too attached and, and it's too sentimental to them. They don't want anyone that's not in the band touching it. And if you make one suggestion, let's change this lyric here just a little bit. I think we could do something better. Oh, no, man, this is how I wrote it. This is how I want it to be. And that's just, 
man, that's the most frustrating thing. I always like to use, uh, as, like to, I guess, uh, as a comparison or for, for example, whenever I've dealt with that, it's like, imagine you're, um, an author of a book, right. And, you know, how are you going to get into the, the huge book, like retail stores or whatever, you're not going to do it on your own. You're going to go through a publicist, like a publishing house. Right. Uh, and they're going to ship your book out everywhere. But when you go through that publishing house, because it's under their wing, they're not going to just take whatever you write and say, Oh, this is gold. Here we go. Let's ship it to books a million or whatever. They're going to, you know, proofread it. They're going to have their editors go through, they're going to edit it out and to make sure that it's the best that it can be before it's represented by their, their company and sent out to all these bookstores. Right. And that's not them um, taking what you had and changing it and making it their own. It's making what you've done or be the best that it can be rather. So it's the same way in, in the music world, right? So artists will bring in songs or songwriters will pitch songs and they'll uh, get given to you know an artist or whatever the case, right? And then they'll go into to record it or they'll go in with a producer and they'll sit down with it. And that producer may take that song, which is already a good song and just tailor it to that artist. Like maybe the, he hears some kind of character in the artist's voice and he wants to have the music behind it sort of match. Like maybe it's a, it's an artist who's a little more raunchy or a little more raspy and they think it would sound cool in a darker style or something, you know, anything like that. That's not changing the song from how it was. It's just uh, enhancing it, you know? And, and that's, a big one for me is, is working with artists that can understand that and not get too sentimental and, and tell you, no, 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 it's gotta be exactly how it was written. But yeah, going back to what you said, that's, that's definitely the hardest thing about producing in the early days. Um, it's just trying to convince them that, you know, this is not a big deal and, and let them let you actually do your job. Aside of that pro- producing is, is awesome. I mean, you, you, the sky is the limit as far as that goes. Are there any other sort of tips that you would give to up and coming artists before they get into the studio in particular? Um, practice to a metronome, obviously practice your, your material um, and, and understand that. Well, before that, even um, make sure that you're choosing someone that you're going to work with uh, to mix your stuff, to engineer stuff, master it, whatever it may be. Make sure you're choosing them because you like their work, not just because they're the only person in your area and you don't know where else to go. Make sure you like what they do. Listen through their portfolio. Uh, you know, make sure you're you you completely trust what they're doing and that you like their sound and you're going to them for a reason other than you don't know where else to go or you're friends with them. And, uh, and then once you get in there, like trust, like let them do their, their job, right. Don't be so attached that you're unwilling to hear anything a different way. It can always, you know, worst case, you let them show you their ideas with the song, let them change some things. And then if you just hate it by the end of it, I'm sure they're going to be okay with that and they'll revert it. Right. But just let, I would say, let them do their work because you got to remember, you got to, you're choosing these people for a reason. Every engineer sounds different or their, their work sounds different. Uh, Every producer's creative uh, mind works a little differently. So uh, just, just go into it with that mindset, keep an open mind. Uh, And, and I swear nine times out of 10, as long as you have an open mind and you're willing to, um, hear other people out and, and be honest with, uh, with each other. It's, it's, you're going to end up with a much better product every single time. 
Yeah, I, I think that's um, that was one of my biggest learning experiences going to the studio is um, especially because the drummer who when I, with my old band when we went to the studio the drum was the only one with studio experience and it wasn't really like I don't think it was like a proper studio or if it maybe it was but I think it was maybe just with an engineer so yeah he had this idea of oh, we'll just go in we'll just do like a couple of days recording and we'll come out and the song will be just a better version of like it will just be a high you know like a high quality version of what we've got the demo of and then we come out yeah. with this like totally new song you know like I mean it sounded like the song but with loads of extra stuff in there that we just had not even scratched the surface of in terms of like vocal harmonies, arrangement, you know, um, yeah. layers, um, like so much stuff that we just did not think to, because we were just, I don't regret any of it. We just, as new musicians, we just didn't think to, you right. know, like Mike, the drummer would be the first to admit the overplayed a bit on that song. Um, yeah. before, before the, recorded version i mean um and then i was always keen to keep riffs in maybe where they didn't need to be there and you know um and you know singer always wanted to hit the high notes and it's just like you don't always need to do that you know Um, (laughs) yeah yeah exactly it's a bit of ego in there i think um but what made you kind of um because what i have noticed a lot of the time is that with production um it tends to come after an instrumental practice you know it tends to be a guitarist that turns to producing um i don't know many i know some but i don't know that many people that started wanting you know like the first thing the first thing you tend to think of when you think of learning music would be like picking up the guitar or piano or something um right yeah there's too many kids kind of learning to produce music as much as they perfectly well could do um what, what was it that kind of i'm assuming the kind of maybe guitar came first but then what yeah what kind of turned you towards producing what made you what what kind of made you interested in that um so i i think i was uh, about 15 um and like you I mean you hit the nail on the head it, it turned out for me exactly how you described i i, I was a guitarist first um and, and kind of going back to earlier when i was mentioning how i started making videos that are around 13 on youtube uh, and those videos were absolutely terrible uh, obviously but uh quality wise and playing wise, everything was terrible about it. But I got to, you know, a couple of years in, I'm like, I want to try to make this a little better. Um, didn't know much at all, but I went and bought a little, um, line six UX one interface. It's a little two channel interface, uh, to run with pod farm, the guitar amp sim. And, um, because that's what a lot of people were doing at the time on, uh, on YouTube for guitar covers and whatnot. So went and bought that, um, came with pod farm, set that up, figured out, finally figured out how to use it to record you know, guitar into the computer. And that was great. So it was a huge improvement on my videos. And then a little more time goes by and I start realizing, well, I have two, um, two inputs on this interface, meaning I could, uh, well, a mic input and an instrument input, meaning I, so I could record guitar and bass and I could also record vocals. So I started thinking about it. What if I, you know, um, taught myself how to program MIDI drums then I could, I could record a whole band and like make some money from this. And, um, it was never really a, a serious thought. Um, but I did want to try it out. So I learned how to program MIDI drums. And then, um, in my, in my town, you know, through my group of, uh, similar aged friends, I had some other friends and other bands and whatnot, and I would offer to record their song for like $50. I mean, if you, if you, if you, spread that out over the amount of hours works. That's probably like 50 cents an hour or something, but uh, yeah, I would, I would do it for like 50 bucks. And uh, I remember my parents would take me over to their house with a laptop and a couple speakers and I'd sit down and, and we'd start just hashing it out. 
And um, for me, it was just, kind of, it was fun. Like it wasn't even work. I mean, it was, I was 15. It's not like I need a salary at that age. Um, so I wasn't really concerned about the money or, or even considering it work or considering it a possible future career. It was just fun for me to do. And then one thing kind of just led to the other. Like I started um, wanting to see if I could make mixes sound better and better and wanting to learn about what I was doing so that I wasn't sitting there just clicking a bunch of buttons and hoping I figured it out as I went. And I guess just, yeah, one thing after the other and started reinvesting into my gear and it became a studio eventually. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you ever find the, um, the work element can take away from the joy of the musical oh, kind yeah. of stuff? Oh yeah. That's, man, that's something I battle with pretty regularly. Um, and it, it, and at the end of the day, it's, uh, I tell this to, to people that are getting into the, the audio engineering world all the time is that sooner than later, you need to, um, not be afraid to decline some work. Uh, and it sucks to do the first few times. And, and obviously you want to do it respectfully, of course, but, uh, you know, there's, there's people or, or artists that will, or bands, whatever, that'll uh, reach out to me, um, uh, through like my website's uh, email form. And part of that form includes a section where I ask, um, them to link to any previous recordings, just, or YouTube videos. It doesn't matter what it is. Just so I know, you know, what the band sounds like, Spotify link, whatever. Uh, and, and if it's something that I listen to and I'm just really not into, or it's just not my style, it doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. Sometimes it does, but it doesn't have to, you know, if, if I'm just not really into the music, then I, I may not take the work because working on that will, will just not be fun at all. You know, it's at that point, it's only about the money just to make it, just to get through with it. And, and that sucks to do. It's like the, the result's not going to be as good if you're not into it, if you're not passionate about it. And, um, I mean, there, there might be some people who are just genuinely passionate about, uh, mixing and mastering or producing. It doesn't matter what, what kind of music it is, but I'm more so passionate about doing that for the music that I like. And I think that's most people, right? So the sooner you can get out of the, uh, the habit of, of, of taking on any project that comes your way or any, any band that's willing to pay you your rate and start, um, being a little, uh, selective, I guess, and what you take on, I think it makes your life a whole lot happier or your work life a whole lot happier. I know that from teaching to be fair, like the, yeah. I, I've, I get the odd few calls or emails now where I, and I can, or like I, I would normally like before I would just offer trial lessons to anyone just be like, well, cause you know, cause obviously I just need to build a, like a clientele and you know, there'd be some where I just, I knew from like a minute in, that they weren't going to pursue lessons with me. Um, and like, there's an agency that used to send me, they kind of, I don't know what happened, they sort of just don't anymore. Um, but they used to send me students um, and they would just send me people who I knew just wanted to try the guitar for free, not like guitar yeah. lessons with me. They just wanted to try learning the guitar. Um, and I actually did say to them, I was like, can you please stop sending me people unless they have a guitar? Because they just, like, I just get people turning up who <laughs> like have so no like have no interest in actually learning the instrument. I was like, at least if they've bought a guitar, you know, I yeah. know. And cause I found like I would have no trouble getting people to, cause this probably all just sets me up to look like a shit guitar tutor, basically than what I'm telling you. But like, <laughs> I had no trouble getting people to sign up if they went through my channels, but for some reason through that agency, like yeah. they just had a habit of getting people who, I don't know what it was about their branding. Like, so having that discernment, it just, it was so, so miserable. You know, some of them would maybe sign up for like five lessons and they wouldn't, 
and mm. they, and then they quit and it's just like man it, yeah. that uh that definitely resonates with me i i teach a little bit myself um are you doing that full time mm-hmm. yeah uh, awesome awesome man yeah I, I only teach maybe uh 10 to 12 hours a week on the side um but yeah i kind of go through the same struggle sometimes um for me my i guess my um uh, only real restriction or, or, or whatever you want to call it that, that I have is I don't really take on kids younger than maybe 10 mm. just because, and I used to, uh, and I'm actually interested to hear how your experience is in this, uh, in this regard. But for me, in my experience, pretty much every kid that I taught under the age of 10, um, just, it was like, it was, it felt more like I was being paid to babysit rather than teach because their yeah. attention span just doesn't exist. Um, God forbid there's a, a fly on the wall during the session because they're, I'm going to not even be there anymore. Yeah. Um, and it just became just the biggest headache. And I just, I ended up starting to actually feel bad that um, these parents were, were paying me to teach their kid to play guitar because I knew, you know, after the lesson was over, they're going to forget everything we talked about. Yeah, I am. Um, I again, that was a thing with this agency, particularly where, where there's a few. Ki- I teach a few kids who are like really, who I can tell are dedicated. There was one the other day where um, he he was very interested. He's clearly very interested in learning, and he uh, probably most interested actually a younger kid. I can't remember how old he was. But he was certainly like a younger kid, um, mm-hmm. and he was bugging his like at the end of the session. He enjoyed it obviously, and he went, "Dad, this I've been telling you, I need to get an amp." so he's obviously he was a young kid so he's obviously been doing his research like you know trying to well he's obviously got an inherent interest so people like kids like that i'm happy i'd happily teach when i'm babysitting it's just a bit like yeah um but it's not like it's nice seeing and they pick stuff up so quickly so it's nice or like they remember it well so even if they don't put the time in you know if they are Mm -hmm. interested that is they tend to remember things so like even if they don't practice that week you can kind of pick up where you left off because they've still got it yeah whereas like adults if you try and teach them something maybe they're not even maybe they're just not quite as interested in it can sometimes right the next week it's like yeah don't know where they're at so yeah i i just i always say as long as you're interested i don't really care um right yep you know what level you're at kind of thing or what age you know um i think the oldest i taught was like 77 or something um, wow so like uh yeah were they uh were they just starting out uh no he funnily enough he just got back in contact because he was he's sort of ill recently so he stopped doing lessons but um no i think he played a little bit he knew some stuff but he wasn't um okay yeah it's funny it's funny teaching such a range of um people yeah. you know um so i think For yeah sure. the weirdest one i had one guy turn up um and he, like, I just, you know, like I said, there are some that turn off and from the start, like, I know this guy's not interested. Um, and he, what happened? Like, he turned up and he was like, um, can I show you some songs, Joe? And I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. Because, you know, I want to see how, like, what he can do and stuff. Yeah, like. yeah, sure. And then he was like, he's like, this is the frog song. I was like, what the fuck is this? Um, <laughs> and then <laughs> he sang, he played like some GCD kind of stuff and, and the guitar playing was kind of okay. And the, the song, I, I don't even know what he sang about. And it was, but it wasn't good. It was really, really bad. Um, mm. And then at the end of it, he was like, and for the record, I would never talk about an actual student of mine like this. He just, I literally talked <laughs> for about half an hour. Um, and at the end of it, it was like, to be honest, Joe, like, 
I'm not interested in being famous or anything. And I was like, fucking great, that's good. Um, and then, and then he's like, I'm, uh, I'm just interested in the cold hard cash of songwriting. I was like, what? What are you Ooh. on about? And then, oh, and God. then the session got to the end, and he was talking about like us jamming and stuff, sort of implying that he wouldn't be paying for lessons. You know, I was like, what? Where is this going? It was the weirdest. Well, lesson I've ever that, yeah, no. Um, uh, I, I hope I don't ever have to deal with something like that. Well, I mean, I've, I have. Uh, yeah. a, I have dealt with some some oddballs here and there. Um, There's one guy I'd come into the store I teach at that refused, like literally refused to not tune his, man, he tuned his guitar. I mean, it was not a tuning I've ever heard. Of. It was not like an open tuning. It wasn't obviously like a drop tuning. He tuned his guitar so that, I'm trying to remember what it was. So I, the, the, I guess the relationship between the big E and the A string was drop tuned. Right. But then the A to D was like, if you bar it, like the third fret on the A and third fret on the D, that was also like drop tuned. And that kept oh. just going down and down and down and down all the way down the neck. So it's just can bar any two strings anywhere and it'd be a perfect fifth. Yeah. And yeah. Um, maybe that's a named tuning that I just don't know about. Uh, I've never heard of it. Yeah. But uh, he refused uh, and he wanted to learn all these songs. And and he'd, he, you know, be like, well, you need to tune to this tuning because I'm not about to figure this out by ear with this fucking weird tuning. And he would just refuse to do it. Uh, so mm. that didn't work out. Um, yeah. So but, it's just, it's like a backwards guitar at that point, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. And Pretty then um, I had one guy, uh, I think he, dude, I, I don't know. It was, it was so weird. He um, paid for a month of lessons might've been two. And then he, he paid for whatever it was. He paid for the, the last month, which he never even took. And then came in, uh, the, like the day of his lesson, like sprinted into the store. It was like, Hey man, I need my money back. And I'm like, uh, well, I don't have cash on me. I could Venmo you it back or whatever. Cause he never took any of those lessons. So he, in that case, I was like, yeah, I mean, I'll give you your money back. He never even took one of the four that you that you paid for. So, you know, it wasn't a big deal. <clears throat> I was like, well, I don't have any cash on me. I could Venmo you or whatever. He's like, Oh man, no, I need cash right now. I'm in a hurry. I got to go. I got to go. Just like he was sprinting from the cops or something. <laughs> and it, and I uh, ended, ended up the, the store owner was, was able to gave him cash out of the register. And I just paid the owner back, but it was so weird. Like he busted up in the, I was teaching somebody else. He busted up in there and, and just like, just frantically like, man, I need my money right now. Where's my money. It was almost like a, it was almost, it was, it was kind of scary because he was getting like, uh, he was almost like kind of disgruntled and, and pissy. And I was teaching like a 12 year old kid at the time. Um, uh, so that was really weird, but those are the, I guess the two weirdest, uh, encounters I've had while teaching. That is, yeah, that's a weird one. Yeah. I've never, I don't think I've ever had anything like worrying in that, in that sense, you know, like of, uh, yeah, I've never been concerned in a lesson. Put yeah. I've never been concerned for my safety or the or the student safety. That's, I guess, I'm a step. <laughs> it's one step yeah, in that direction. I, I don't know. I wasn't like uh, my first thought was was not necessarily like being concerned for mine or the student safety. But there was a point where I was like, is is he frantic because he uh, is like, was he on drugs and it was with having withdrawals and needed to get his fix right then and there? Was he like in like? Uh, criminal trouble or something like I, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what the the why the the fr- you know how, why he was so frantic. I guess <clears throat> so. I was just confused and yeah, it was, it was a weird thing, man. 
Mm. Yeah, the um, let's see. Yeah, I've had some. It's nice. What I think is nice now is it's got to the point where, and it's, I think it's the same with any line of work where you're self-employed, where you get like say one in ten people are like absolute will stay with you for life, not for life, but you know for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, yeah. you know, I take on ten students. Like three might stay for a while. Well, no, I wouldn't take. That's a pretty low rate. Into I might contact ten. You know. And then mm-hmm. through, and then there'll be like one in 10, maybe even one in 20 is like there for the long run, you know, obviously yeah. if you do that over a long time. You then don't have to replenish, you know, the, mm-hmm. as much, which is nice. But um, like speaking of some other things that maybe that I kind of um, at a glance sort of got the impression you have to sort of confirm or deny um, how yep. interested you are in said things from just from looking at your sort of Instagram and stuff. Um, so are you... Do you do it's a soft you're a software engineer is that right? Yeah, so that's uh, something I've always done on the side. Uh <clears throat> I don't do it as a career at the moment. Um uh, that could change soon. Uh you know, I've I've wanted to do it. Uh it's from you know, I I do a lot of my own projects. I have a side business that I do Colossal Bass where I developed a a MIDI bass instrument and I sell that. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not a huge business or anything, but it's done pretty well, especially as a side gig. Uh, and so it doesn't take too much upkeep, but that's, you know, passive income on the side, uh, stuff like that. I've never really worked, uh, under a company doing it, but, uh, it's something for about the last decade that I've done, um, just building my own projects or contributing to different open source things that, um, I've used or that has made my life easier in the, and the projects that I've made or whatever, um, I've built some, you know, done some freelance stuff, built some web panels and, and backends for different things. Um, but it's, it's fun for me. It's definitely a fun hobby that I could turn into a career at some point. It's just, I guess, more about balancing that and, and the studio stuff and figuring out how I could do two full-time jobs more or less at the same time. But, you know, I guess it's still doable because both are remote. <clears throat> or Well, if I was to do development, I would want it to be remote. So in that case, both would be remote. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tough balance if I was to do that, but definitely something to consider. Mm. That's kind of weirdly, um, a weird other way around the most, like most people, when you think software engineering, the dream might be to do music, you know, like it's a, yeah. it's, it's a weird, like, you know, the sort of the pipe dream might be the music. So it's a, it's a weird kind of other way around, I guess, than what I would yeah. perhaps typically. Yeah. For, for me, it was just what came first, you know, music mm. came first, um, when I started playing guitar, I probably barely knew how to use a computer. So, uh, and then, you know, I got, I had an interest with computers and just uh, became interested in trying to figure out how to, how to write code and just kind of became a hobby. That's really cool. Do you, do you think you're like, uh, and this again ties in with a bit with the production more on the Sonic, like Sonic's kind of side of things, like less so than the um, songwriting. Do you think you're maybe like an analytical sort of, mind or are you more a bit creative but of both like um i would say i would say more of an analytical mind if i you know had to pick one i think for some things uh i like my creative mind side of things i guess uh but in other things i don't I, a lot of times i feel like i'm not as creative as i want to be um for example uh, a lot of producers these days that are that are uh, good at writing really wacky effects things like really you know like, or lo-fi or like uh, 
almost electronic drum beats, but with a bunch of extra stuff thrown in. And I'm not really talking about EDM type stuff, but like the, the weird pop country stuff, like there's so many weird effects and like electronic stuff going on and, and just electronic, like synth melodies here or whatever that are just, it's just, I listen to those things. I'm like, man, that is so off the wall. It's cool, but I would have never thought of that. And so uh, I, I guess I get a little jealous sometimes when I hear those because I'm like, man, I wish I could think of that kind of stuff. But then for other things, I feel like I am pretty creative. So uh, averaging it out though, I would say probably more of an analytical mind. Hmm. Yeah. I just thought that was, um, it's always intriguing, but I feel like the, the, the nature of the online world is maybe not so it's friendlier to someone with an analytical mind because you can, you can go, oh, that video did X amount of views and you can figure yeah. things out or like, you know, whereas if you're creative, you might be really great at like just writing songs or, or whatever, like mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be music, you know, or be it art or dance or something. I don't know. Um, but if you don't know anything about, if you don't have an analytical sort of perspective, it's hard to then actually make something of that in a career sense unless someone just finds you and just does it all for you um yeah which i think is pretty few and far between um i i think you can uh i even think you can kind of tell uh as far as like guitar videos on instagram go or you know instagram whatever um i think you can almost tell who is who has an analytical mind and who has more of a creative mind just by the content alone. You probably could do so for any sort of content, but I'm more specifically talking about guitar videos just because that's what I'm most familiar with and what I make myself. But uh, even looking at, you know, um, there's, there's some guys with, with big uh, followings who their videos are just raw camera audio. They just put up uh, just phone videos, right? Just uh, videos off their phone. And they still have huge followings. And, and I think in those cases, those guys more have more of a, of a creative mind. They're not really looking at the, the analytics or the, the stats on the, on their last video to see how it went. Uh, they know people like them for their, their videos, for their playing, for whatever it is, and they don't need to do anything flashy for it. And then you've got people, I guess I would fall more into this category in the more analytical sense where, uh, you, you put a little bit more um, work into the video. Like you, you've got multiple camera angles, you do a full mix, whatever you're recording direct into the computer or whatever. Uh, and then, and I, I don't always do it. I don't do it every video, but I do analyze some of my stats to see uh, if I can find patterns over time on things that do better than other, or especially like uh, the time that I post, I always do it prior to noon, my time, because uh, in my experience, well, that just does the best. But also if you think about it, it covers, uh, if I, if I post at, let's say 10 AM central time, uh, central United States, then that's 8 AM uh, Pacific. People are just getting into work. They don't want to start working yet. They're going to look at their Instagram feed, uh, 10 AM. You're right there before lunch or 10 central. You're right before lunchtime people, you know, on their lunch breaks, Eastern, you're already pretty much in uh, lunch hour. So you've got that. Everything's kind of, looking at Instagram in the U S around that, around that time. And it just works for me, but to, I guess to get back on track, like I feel like people that put more uh, effort into the way their video looks and sounds are, are doing it because um, they're trying to attract more. They're testing things out. They're looking at the data or seeing what does better. And they're, you know, trying different things. And that's, I, I definitely fall more into that category. I think. Mm. It's a, I think I'm a creative person, but I definitely, I think the nature of, how it 
I think I'm somewhere, I'm probably maybe somewhere along the lines of where you're at with that actually in yeah. terms of the balance. But I think the the other thing is, it's so much easier to be analytical in the sense that like, it for me anyway, it's easier for me to look at the stats and try and figure out a pattern or to figure out like, is that title better than the other? If you're looking at YouTube, maybe it was like, what thumbnail? Because you can just go, which one's yeah. doing better? You know, um, yeah. whereas create, being creative, you've got to have that start point of staring at the instrument and just being like, right, Right. What do I do? Yeah. Um, and I think I need to try and train my head out of the, um, temptation to fall in, to spend the afternoon, like changing the titles of my videos or like, you know, developing new thumbnails or, or like doing that side of things and just go, yes, that's useful, but actually I need to just focus on what I'm trying to make a success of. I think that's quite a difficult distraction to try and you got to think about it, but there's no point thinking about all your analytics if you're never going to make anything useful for them, you know? Um, Mm. so I don't know. That's, um, a whole rabbit hole. Um, but the other thing I noticed, um, and what did make me laugh actually, I was looking at your, through your story highlights and see you've got lots of countries you've kind of visited and stuff. Um, the funnily enough, so I'm in Birmingham, UK and I saw the, yeah, yeah, well, that's the thing. I saw your stories of like places that I go past all the time. Um, oh, like what? I'm like so the interested. custom factory in Digbeth? Yeah, you know, the, the graffiti the, uh, and stuff. Yeah, do you know all the graffiti? Yeah. So yeah, man, that was so cool. So funnily enough, at the time I looked at when you put, I think it was about three years or something ago that you must have done that from from November memory. of uh, eighteen. So there's like a few months before COVID hit. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, so I would have been starting music school um. At, in Digbeth when you were visiting, which is quite funny. So like it's, yeah. uh, we may well have even walked past each other. There's yeah. the slightest chance that is might that, Is that the, is that, um, is that like right around the corner from the Custer factory? I feel yeah. like there was a school right, right there. Yeah, yeah. there's a little music okay. school. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Yeah. I didn't recognize the name, but I, I, I do remember seeing that. Mm. Wow. That's small world. Yeah. So, but um, yeah. Do you have many memories of Birmingham? I always ask people this when they go through because it's just, um we did the i can't remember the name of it it's right there on the custard factory that's in the custard factory um like a sexual mini golf place oh Uh, what's it it's called called? yeah ghetto golf yes man that was that was something else i absolutely loved that um it was a day trip um for me i was there it was part of a month-long backpacking trip but i've got a good friend Uh, he actually is uh the other half of the uh, colossal base um, MIDI base software that I uh, developed. Uh, he lives in Derby. Oh yeah. And so, so while I was there um, in England in general, um, uh, I stayed with him and we did a trip to, uh, was it Nottingham? I think. Yeah. Uh, and Birmingham. Um, uh, I can't remember the Matt, Matt lot or. Uh, yeah. I think that's the place. What's it called? It's well, Glenn Matlock is the uh, Sex Pistol. Um, so, but <laughs> it's, I imagine it's there's a place called yeah. Uh, it's 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 like a small town, kind of up in in some hills. Uh, <laughs> That's a lot of England. <laughs> yeah, isn't it uh, though? Man, I, I can't think of it, but it, yeah, we we moved around and traveled around a little bit. But Birmingham was like a, a day thing and. Yeah. Um, that's what sticks out the most to me actually is uh, the Custard Factory, Ghetto Golf. Um, yeah, I don't know. 
I'm trying to remember now what else we would have done there. I was just wondering. Yeah, I'm not from yeah. Birmingham. I just live here. Right? Like, um, yeah. But yeah, I was just wondering what you thought. It's uh, it gets mixed reviews. No, I, I, I loved it. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Ghetto uh, golf. I'll never forget ghetto golf. It's a fun. <laughs> like, there's um, what else have they got? There's that whole area is so cool now. It's like it's got. There's so much stuff like there's a like a batting cage like baseball bat like um really yeah obviously you yeah. have drinks everyone gets really drunk and just like you know uh, yeah uh, I want to know how many people have been hit in the face there um uh, which you know from the probably quite a few probably you weren't meant to wear a helmet but you technically don't have to sort of thing so um mm. so yeah it's a very cool area um but I was going to ask like my sort of question was do you are you into traveling or was that just like a one off thing yes yeah I mean I. Whew, I love traveling. I try to do it as much as I can. Um, I just actually got back um, from Australia. I think originally, didn't we discuss uh, having this like a few months ago or a couple months yeah, back? Yeah, I remember I was, we talked about October yeah, or something, didn't we? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was in Australia for a month. Um, my second time being there, went for a friend's wedding. And, um, you know, I'm not going to go all that way. Uh, just for three days to see a wedding and then make the 15 hour trip back. Well, actually it's all, all said and done more like a 24, 27 hour trip with layovers and everything added in. But mm-hmm. so I stayed for a month. Um, we went around to a bunch of different spots and had a good old time, but uh, yeah, now it's on the plan in the next one, whenever that is. Yeah. That's wicked. Yeah. That's um, I, I, there's so many places. What's the top of your kind of bucket list of where you need to go? Um, I think I'm reevaluating now because, you know, I, I've gone to all the ones that have previously been at the top of my bucket list. Um, <clears throat> I'd say my favorite that I've been to as far as nature is, is concerned is Iceland for sure. Cool. You, I you have definitely want to go you... back there. Okay. Cool. Um, I would say next, and I wanted to do it on this last trip to Australia, but we just didn't have the time. <clears throat> but one of the next ones on my list would probably be New Zealand. I really wanted to make the hop over there to New Zealand. Um, Maybe uh, maybe somewhere like Colombia. I'd really like to do more Eastern Europe as well. Um, when I did that month backpacking trip, I was just in, uh, I did England, uh, Ireland, Scotland, and Iceland. I feel like I'm missing one, but no, I think it was just those, what was that four? Yeah, England, I- Ireland, Scotland, and Iceland. Yeah. So I didn't really go that far east. Um, and That's I would really love to, you know, France, you Switzerland, and Italy. And I'd really love to do all that as well. It's funny because what we consider Eastern Europe is like uh, more uh, former sort of Soviet countries, you know. Things oh, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, yeah, that is technically the further. Yeah. Because I guess for you, it's all right. East, isn't it? Um, yeah. Well, more East, uh, more East than the UK, I guess I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually more so Europe now, technically. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, <laughs> yeah. I went to. Uh, Ljubljana. Or EU, I should say, rather. Huh? More of the EU. Not, yeah. Yeah, not Europe. But you know what I meant. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, the, I recently went to Ljubljana in Slovenia. That's an amazing place. Yeah, uh, how'd you like it? Oh, it's so good. I went to um, I went to the single best... Well, my, my girlfriend and I, I didn't just go on my own. Because she'll watch this and be like, I was there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I went to the single best bar I've been to in my life. It was this... And I think yeah. it was partly... You know, sometimes it's like... It's, it's sort of... Um, serendipitous in a way because you kind of sometimes it's to do with just being in the right moment but the weather was really terrible it wasn't great for the whole few days we were there but it was really terrible the first couple days like lightning and thunder and everything um and we but obviously we still went around and i was quite ill as well um and we're like well 
you know, let's go, let's find a little bar before, you know, just for the finish the day. And it was this really, it was like, it was like a speakeasy kind of bar. It was very hidden away. It was on, you know, it was on Google Maps. Like we found it. It wasn't hard. It wasn't like a, you know, secret. Um, yeah. I remember we just turned up and it was like, we opened the door and everyone turned around and looked. So obviously it's a bit of a like closed atmosphere. Um, and it was so like, it's only a tiny bar. Like it's the size of my living room maybe. Um, but the cocktails were the best cocktails I've had. Yeah. And the atmosphere, it was all like, <laughs> It was just very cozy, lots of like classic music. There was a piano in there and someone went and played some like film scores and things on it. It was like just some <laughs> random guy. It was like it felt really, like mo- it felt like I was walked into a movie kind of thing for a Yeah. Um, and then then the next day, uh we went there and the and it was our last day there and he was like, Yeah, we're we're closing up for about a month tomorrow. I was like, Oh. So it's really good timing. So if you go to Ljubljana ever I would recommend it. It's not it wouldn't be the top of many people's list in the US, I'd imagine, but um I'll have to add it, add it to Great it. Great place, yeah. Um, yeah. And then we went to Venice, which was just awesome. Um, really yeah, cool we'd love place. to go there as well. Yeah, that's high on the list for me. Um, yeah, man. I mean, we've covered quite a few. We've we've travelled, we've traversed across uh, a number of uh, a number of sort of things, which is cool. So it's always nice to be able to talk about things, you know, like a bit. Oh, for bit sure. Side of just like your day-to-day musical conversations, I guess, maybe. Um, so, yeah. Um, no doubt. But yeah, if that's if that's cool with you, I'll um, get you to ask your question for, for the next guest and um, also promote an artist. All that right. that moment where yeah, we've forgotten so, that there's a question. <laughs> um, let's see. I guess you can edit out some space here, if I think, for a second. <laughs> um, I'll leave the thinking space in. Let people judge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the clock's ticking. Uh-huh. I should probably put like a little timer for and see who, see what the longest thinking time is for someone. I'll tell you what, I'm going to ask, is it all right if I do a sort of a two-part question? Yeah, yeah, for sure. The more right, conversation so the first, starter I get, the better. <clears throat> yeah, so the first part's a little more generic, but I think I'll follow it up with something. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> my question is, um, what would you go back, as far as your guitar playing goes, if you could go back and tell your, you know, 15 year old self, however old you were after you were like a year into playing, right. A year or two into playing. If you could go back to that period in time of your uh, time as a guitar player and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? And uh, what did you later on uh, have to go back and fix? If anything, if as far as technique goes, right. So like for me, um, it was music theory. I neglected it for years and years and years, and it made it really difficult um, to kind of learn once you're already an established guitar player, once you already can play guitar, um, even if, you know, however good that might be, if you've done it for seven, eight years, whatever, and you just completely neglected all theory, then learning it at that point is like trying to teach an old dog new tricks a little bit. So, yeah. So I guess, recapping what would you go back and tell yourself as a guitarist of maybe one or two years um nowadays and what did you have to correct once you you know became a a better guitar player something like any bad habits that you formed when you were younger nice i mean to be fair i don't just chat to guitarists so i can just make that about like music yeah yeah. but it it can apply to any can even apply to just like career if you wanted to you know um so that's a good that's an interesting one yeah um i've had the like advice that you would give to your younger self question which is a cool one um yeah so sort of like that but also 
Uh, it's different. It's what, a different. You spun it differently. It's all good. Oh. Yeah. What? Like, what uh, did you have to correct? What did you figure out later on that you uh, like a, a technique or something that you did wrong? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So also, I need you to plug an artist. Um, plug an deserve, artist. One that deserves Ooh. some love, maybe that you haven't. That doesn't get What's the love that? they deserve. So one that deserves some love, maybe that hasn't got the love they deserve. Let's see here. Man, I have so many like Instagram friends at the moment, um, <laughs> like doing guitar videos and stuff. Yeah, it, it doesn't have say, to be like a band. It can just be a, a person or you know an artist or something. Yeah, like, uh, Instagram guitar dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to go with my buddy Michael Tuck. Oh, Mike Tuck. His Instagram is... Let's see. What is it right now? Mike Telly Tuck, M I K E T E L E, and then T U C K, all one word. Oh, Mike Telly Tuck. He's a fantastic country guitar player, super nice guy. Uh, I, I watch his videos all the time and I just love every one of them. So definitely check him out. Nice. That's a good one. If you've got anything you want to sort of um, plug, then go ahead. Um, Some people have man. this really well prepared, this little end section, you know. Yeah, well, I guess the only two things would be uh, if you don't follow me yet on Instagram, you can check out my stuff. It's Eric Woolard ninety five. Um, I do run a, an, a recording studio, Warlord Studios. You can check that out at warlordstudiosms.com. And if you ever are in need of a MIDI bass instrument, check out Colossal Bass. That's colossalbass.com. It's uh, we've got two different MIDI bass instruments. One is a sampled Warwick Corvette. And the other is a uh, Music Man Stingray. <clears throat> um, both are contact instruments, so uh, makes it really easy to uh, kind of pre-pro and, or demo songs or even use in actual productions. I've used it quite a bit in some stuff where the bass player was either shit or the bass was shit or they uh, didn't have a bass player. So it's it saves you in those cases uh, and makes it really easy to write out songs quickly without having to record um, whatever the case. If you think you're interested in that, check it out. Colossal bass. Well, no one ever wants to deal with bass players. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, no, it's just, just rare. Just big guitar, isn't it? Just you know, yeah, do just it on big that. guitar. Just get the guitarist to do it, an octave down. Yeah, nice. Well, that's, we that go. can be the message of the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> wicked. Um, well, yeah, that's been awesome, man. Thank you very much. Well, man, thank you for having me. It's been a fun time. 